This is Fundraising Radio, and today is a guest speaker. We have Roberto Machado, CEO at BetaBlocks, an angel investor, and also a former mentor at Google Launchpad. And this episode will mainly talk about current situation, the coronavirus, and fundraising for the blockchain-based corporations. So, Roberto, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on BetaBlocks. Sure. Thanks for the invitation, Constantine. So I'm Roberto Machado. Uh, I've been, uh, I had a very successful corporate career uh, working for international organizations. Uh, some years ago, I decided to make a change. I was living in California, uh, joined some, uh, like the startup world. Uh, the easiest way for me was through uh, uh, angel investments. So I went to Berkeley, I studied venture capital, uh, high school business. Uh, I joined some large angel groups in California, uh, two of the four largest uh, angel groups in the, in the state. Um, work a lot of startups. I've done quite a few investments. Uh, then I joined the Google mentorship team in in the San Francisco, the Google Launchpad, uh, helping startups in fundraising strategy. Uh, so for the past uh, five six years, we've been working supporting helping startups. Uh, more more recently, I moved to the East Coast uh, to Miami, uh, and uh, I launched an accelerator helping startups on their fundraising strategy. We help about 150 to 200 startups per year. Uh, helping them you know, defining their elevator pitch, their pitch deck, terms of the raise, advisory board, board of directors, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, not only that, I more recently decided to launch my own uh, startup as well uh, in the enterprise blockchain space. Uh, so, and I've raised money for my business. So I've had experience uh, investing in startups uh, uh, training startups through Google and my accelerator, and now being an entrepreneur and raising money and having all this investors relation stuff. Mm-hmm. So first question that I would like to ask you is about market fit. Uh, so that's an accelerator problem. Can you, uh, go a little bit more in depth into how you work? Sure. Uh, so when I moved to Florida, California, three years ago, I knew I wanted to work with startups and I realized the startup ecosystem was, was very behind. Uh, in in Florida, um, a lot of the mentors in the area they came from the real estate world, the private banking, kind of the the local traditional industries. Um, and I knew I wanted to do something with startups, so I uh, I launched a small accelerator working on uh, kind of one on one with startups, helping them define their fundraising strategy. Um, and the way we work, that's uh, we work with governments, we work with uh, with accelerators, we work with um, with funds, we work directly with startups as well on a program that goes anywhere from a month to three months uh, for them to um, design their pitch deck, um, define uh, the content, define their message, um, all the competitive analysis, everything that goes into building your pitch, uh, verbal pitch, and, and in terms of presentation as well. So this is a uh, kind of one-on-one program. Um, well, uh, a couple of years ago, I signed a partnership with, uh, with the Brazilian government. So now we train uh, all of the startups from Brazil that go uh, internationally on the- Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, with the trading promotion, trading investment promotion agency. Um, Brazil is one of the uh, top five, top 10 countries in, in unicorns. Uh, so a lot of uh, the startup ecosystem is booming, especially in Sao Paulo. So, um, and so I travel with the startups and I support them through the different uh, road shows they do internationally. South by Southwest, uh, Web Summit in Lisbon, uh, oil and gas uh, events, uh, different, uh, and then of, of course official government missions. Uh, last year we went to Toronto, Boston, we went to Shanghai, different locations. Uh, normally taking between 15 and 20 startups, so we prepare them for that mission. 
um, so they can actually raise money with investors, but not only raising money, but also finding partners, distribution partners, um, um, clients, and so on and so forth. So how to prepare their pitch. And now with this coronavirus and everything going remotely, there's a big push, big wave of, of companies wanting to be trained on how to pitch online. So we're doing a lot of programs now, uh, helping companies, um, you know, pitch in one minute, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. Um, I'm also an investor judge in eight to 10 events in the US per year, uh, Silicon Valley. I've done quite a few events in Silicon Valley, New York. Last year, I, uh, I judged the 64 startups and one event in New York. Uh, so bringing that experience of being an investor, an investor judge uh, into, you know, um, kind of the startups that are going to go and pitch to them. So it's been an interesting journey, uh, balancing that with my own startup where I have to go and, and raise money as well. So answering your question, the, the acceleration model is we work on uh, with either one company or a small group of companies. We don't have any physical cohort where they have to stay in the office for three months, the traditional acceleration program that you find in by Combinator or 500 Startup, we are more one-on-one or a small group type of training, focusing on um, how do you raise money with investors. We are not a broker dealer, so we're not, we don't go out and, and raise money per se, which there's a lot of restrictions in terms of how, mm -hmm. you, you know, right. how much you can raise for other people, you know that stuff. There's, the, there's always a little bit of liability, uh, but we get them ready for it. I, I, as I say, I don't, I don't have dinner with your date, I get you ready for it. Uh, so, you know, how you should eat, how you should dress, what you should say, but it's up to the, the couple to uh, find a match and, and, and continue their life if there's a match, right? Um, mm -hmm. So this is what we do at MarketFit. And, and on, on my company, Betablocks, same thing, you know, raising money. Um, we did um, friends and family, we did, um, we raised companies created maybe a couple of years ago and, and we've raised, um, 600K um, uh, to develop our blockchain technology. And very soon we plan to do our pre-series A or series A evaluating the alternatives under those very difficult market conditions as well. Uh, but anything that I've, I've thought, I also try to implement in terms of, you know, how to prepare the pitch deck and how to relate with investors, how not to be too diluted and so on and so forth. So this is, it's mm -hmm. been an it's always easier to teach than to implement, as you know. Right. <laughs> uh, but it's been it's been interesting matching uh, support with training and support and then judging with doing myself. So it's been a lovely journey. That's really cool. That's really cool. So I imagine that you see, I mean, you see a lot of founders and a lot of first-time founders who don't really have much experience in pitching or talking to investors. What do you think are the major mistakes that they make while, you know, let's say in the first meeting with the investor, what are the major mistakes that they make? It might be a pitch. It might be the way that they dress up. It might be the way they talk, whatever that mistake is. So I've, I've probably seen uh, close to 4,000 pages in my life uh, through my angel groups and, and through my uh, different activities. Um, I think there's not one common mistake, but I think um, one single mistake, there are different ones, but some things that they, they must exist, they must happen for you to be successful. So first of all, is the passion, right? Like, are you passionate for what you're doing? Do you, uh, are you, do you have the energy uh, that we would like, is that, it's, are you somebody that I'm, I'm definitely going to go behind you, right? So the energy is the number one. I've seen a lot of people present or like, 
oh, this is my company, this is what we do, rather than trying to transmit some, <laughs> some passion and what you're doing. Like if you don't have passion for what you do, your clients and employees won't have it either. So that's the first thing. Yep. Second, I see, I see a lot of entrepreneurs very, very uh, connected to the product, uh, where they try to sell the product, not the company. Right? And the company is not only a product. The company has co-founders, the company has employees, the company has the product, the company has clients, the company has traction, revenue, monetization model, all this stuff that you know, right? Sometimes exit strategy if required, but so trying to sell the package, not only the product and people, they spend too much time talking about the product, too little about how am I gonna build or how am I building a successful business that can have maybe an exit and that's what investors are probably looking for. So mm -hmm. okay, energy and, and selling the whole package. Uh, and then uh, last but not least, um, how you, you see uh, your business growing, what's your strategy to uh, how reasonable you are you know, on your numbers and your analysis, have you done your homework, um, analyzing your competition, analyzing uh, your go-to-market strategy. So unfortunately, a lot of people are lazy. Um, so again, you might, have a good, uh, you might have a beautiful product, great, but you know, if you don't have all the knowledge, you don't have the, you've, done your, you've not done your homework, it's gonna be very hard to convince smart investors on what you're doing, right? So mm -hmm. those are kind of the main ones. I'm sure there are, there are a lot other different oh, ones. Yeah. That, you know, it, it's, it's not a good industry to be, or your numbers don't match, whatever. There's different reasons for it. Or uh, you, you, a, you, know, you don't have any co-founder and you're doing everything by yourself, which is pretty hard. So there are different things that happen. But I think if you don't have energy, you don't have passion for what you're doing, you don't know what you're doing, uh, or you, say, you just have a product, you don't have a company, that's, that's pretty hard. Absolutely, that's right. And in the beginning of the episode, I said we're going to talk about uh, raising for blockchain, and let's let's try to shift the conversation there a little bit. So, do you think people, so founders in some specific fields, have some very common mistakes? So, for example, let's say, do you see that there is like some common pattern that all uh, founders in blockchain field uh, that they all make the same mistake? Do you see that, or basically all founders are kind of the same? Thinking about blockchain itself, I think uh, what happened in 2008, 2009, 2007, 2008, there was a lot of uh, six to eight, I would say. There was a lot of ICOs, right? Uh, there, was 4, 000, there were 4,000 coins in the market. A lot of people raised, I would say, easy money, right? Easy in the sense that, you know, the average ICO was probably between 30 and $40 million. And most of the times, those ICOs, uh, those, those raids were based on, only on a white paper, on a business plan. So that means you are jumping all the steps, you're shortcutting the whole series, you know, seed round, friends and family, seed round, series A, just being already going to a series C, for example, and you have no traction. So clearly, the model would, would be a failure. Um, a lot of companies raised a lot of money. They, had, they have not built anything. They have no traction. Some of them had good ideas and, and potential for to build a good product, but it, there was no traction. Um, not only that, but the investors that invested in those, um, those uh, ICOs or that fundraise uh, were expecting to have a return on the investment, but there was no association between the performance of the token and the performance of the business, right? Let's take, for example, mm -hmm. the case of, of Ripple. Ripple probably has the best or one of the best technologies for, for financial transfer, for bank, uh, interbank financial transfers. Um, but there's no connection between the performance of, of uh, Ripple and the performance of XRP. 
Um, so you, you're able to use Ripple without using XRP. So even if the company does amazing, maybe they're going to do a nice IPO and so on. Not necessarily the, the coin will follow that performance, and it has not. So uh, so that, that was a little bit of issue uh, where it was a fear of missing out, what we call FOMO in the industry. We decided as Betablock not to do any ICO, not to raise a coin. Uh, at that time, as an angel investor, I felt it was not the right thing to do. I did not want to have any liability with the SEC. I did not want to have a liability with my investors. So I decided to go the traditional way. Uh, and now it has helped because when we go to a client, one of the first questions the client asks, have you done an ICO? And we say no, they're more comfortable working with us because there's no risk of liability in that sense, right? Of the, of the you know, you did a security token or you did a utility token, should have been a security token. This is, there's a problem with securities law, all this stuff, all this debate. That happened. So um, what happened in the blockchain world, and I'm more specifically with ICOs, and then became FTOs afterwards, right? Um, where there's a, a, a an asset back in that token, uh, but when there's no asset and they raised uh, with the promise that the, the coin would appreciate if the company does well, and there was no correlation because you don't have voting rights, right? When you invest in a preferred equity, you have you know you have participation, and you sometimes you get a board seat and so on. But not only that, as an entrepreneur, if I raise $40 million, what is my incentive to build a business around it if I already have the amount of money that I'll get in an exit? Why am I going to burn $20, 30 $40 million to build something when I, when I have the money already in my hands? Mm -hmm. so that, does not, that completely goes against the, the principle of venture capital, where we are taking risks together. Uh, you as an entrepreneur, you're working you know, your A off, right? your ASS off. To build something and i'm going to give you more money as you increase your business you get traction but if you get the money on day one what is your incentive to reach the end line you're right there so so we see that changing um now it's become more difficult to raise money through icos so companies are going the traditional way not only that the oh yeah VCs are the big vcs are becoming more interested in, in joining blockchain they understand a bit more they know now the blockchain is not only cryptocurrency the blockchain is a technology that companies are using there's more use cases in supply chain, uh, in, in data protection, in, in the authenticity of goods. There's a bunch of different use cases for blockchain now. Um, so it's going mainstream. VCs are more interested. People are starting to build technology. They're starting to get a little bit of traction on it. So the market's moving away from that artificial bubble into a more realistic and normal market where, okay, you have an idea, I'll give you $200,000, you build it, or $300,000, whatever it is, or a million, you build it. And if you execute, I'll give you a couple million more. And then if you execute, I'll give 10 million more, and so on, right? But based on traction, not based only mm -hmm. on the white paper. So a blockchain is meaning, uh, you know, kind of the mainstream meeting the, the other sectors, and they look more normal now um, as, as it is, right? So did I answer your question? Yep, you did. You did. Uh, it was a pretty in-depth response, so I like that. And here, I want to go back a little bit to the question that I actually forgot to ask you, which is the uh, pitch deck. Mm -hmm. So we jumped straight into the you know verbal presentation and what are the major mistakes there. I was wondering, what do you think are the must-have three points? So the three must-have points on the pitch deck for you personally as an investor. Uh, hard to define only three factors you know if you only cover three things you don't cover the rest if you don't have a, a forecast if you don't have a go-to-market strategy if you don't show your team it's going to be very hard to convince somebody 
So uh, there's, uh, again, you, you should be, I should visually be able to see your product in action, right? So normally in the pitch deck, and if, you know, it, it's, it's very common product and, and the problem you're solving, then the solution, then walk me through your product. Why is the product better than your competition? How do you make money? What's your go-to-market strategy? Uh, why are you better than your competitors? Uh, what's your traction so far? Um, what's your forecast? Who's executing the plan? And what are you looking for right now? So those six or seven things, they, they must be addressed. If you're not addressing one of them, then there's an issue. I, I can't look at your business if there's no forecast. I can't look at your business if there's no, there's no team. Who, who, you know, number one, uh, I'd say mm -hmm. uh, if I had to choose only three, and it's impossible to choose three, but I would probably choose uh, product, right? What, it, what are you doing? Uh, I'll probably choose the team executing because I need to know who's taking my money. I mean, if you come right. to me and say, you know what, right. I'm Elon Musk, and I'm going to launch a new, <laughs> a new airplane that's going to fly from New York to London in 30 minutes. I'm in. I don't need, I don't need forecasts. I don't, because you're Elon Musk, <laughs> and I know there's a problem. Like flying to Europe is just far. It takes too long. Uh, new York, London, for example. So, uh, so I'll say product, uh, who, is, who is executed. And then if there's some, again, if, are you pre-revenue or post-revenue, right? If it's post-revenue, I need to know traction, like uh, absolutely. Say, I'm, Elon, I'm Elon Musk. I'm building a uh, a, a plane that goes from uh, uh, New York to to London in 30 minutes, and I've sold uh, 500 units to United Airlines. Okay, that's all I need to know. We can discuss price afterwards. We can discuss exit strategy, but if you can show that in again, ideally it's not only three factors, but if but if you can show that what you, what are you doing? That your team is amazing and who is backing you, who's buying from you, the clients or VC, you should tell me, look, I'm launching a whatever, a transportation app. Uh, I have, I'm, I'm the person that uh, created Uber uh, mm -hmm. and uh, we're backed by Sequoia and Kleiner Perkins. Okay, I'm very interested. I want to know more about it. The rest, right. like, you know what I mean? Like, but those things are essential. But if you come to me and said, and said, uh, there is a huge, like, I'm, I'm going to change the three topics, right? Which must have, must be in the deck, but maybe they're less important. Uh, there's a problem of transportation. People are taking too long to go home. Okay. I get it. Uh, I make money. I charge five cents per kilometer. Okay. I get it. And I want to sell my company to Uber. Okay. I get it. <laughs> I'm not interested, but it, you address three, three big problems, right? There, what problem you're solving? You addressed uh, how much you're charging, and you, ad you addressed maybe your exit strategy. But without, I don't know who you are. I don't know what's your product. I don't know if you have any traction, if you post product people. So you see how I chose three different topics? Mm -hmm. All right. in the pitch deck, but some of them are <laughs> more essential than others, right? Or more important than others, I would say. But they're important, right? Absolutely. That's actually a great example of like, prioritizing the information though. So that, that was great example, I think. And let's move on to your advice to founders raising right now. So you're still reviewing page decks, I guess, and you see how the page decks and the way that founders present their companies to investors have changed because of the coronavirus. What's your advice to founders who are trying to raise money right now and who just have to raise money? They just can't bootstrap for six more months. Uh, it is a tough moment to raise money for sure. Uh, there is just less money out there, uh, and the money that's out there, it's you know you're competing with the stock exchange. That if, if you know what you're doing, you can make a lot of money um, in the stock market. Um, 
a lot of people lost their jobs uh, as well. So even if you have enough asset, if you're a great investor and you lost your job, you're still worried, you know, you probably don't invest as money. Your wife or your husband might say, no, don't, don't spend money on this. Um, so it is a tough moment. Uh, I don't see it getting better in the short term. It's going to take some time for people to gain confidence again. I think it affects a little bit more angel investors that your seed round than your VC, because we see a lot of them have raised their funds, so they have the money available to invest. Uh, what happens over the angel then investment is that people are more skeptical to invest. They have more opportunities to invest. There is a bigger uh, opportunity cost as well. Like you could go in, into stock, you could buy a house for a cheaper price, whatever it is. Um, and on the VC side, the issue is that you, you have the appreciation power with the VC or they might ask for more um, better results, whatever it is to invest, right? There's not a, as much competition for deals as you have under normal conditions. So what do you do in a situation like this? So the first thing you wanna do is you wanna survive longer. Uh, the water is raising, it's getting to your nose. You wanna get extra oxygen. You wanna survive a bit longer. So how do you do that? One thing that you control is your cost or your cost. So looking every single penny that you're spending, uh, your subscriptions, salaries, unfortunately, everything that you're spending, benefit, whatever it is, can I cut my cost to adjust the new reality where I'm selling less, right? So, um, okay, you know, there is something called uh, zero-based budgeting that was created by the 3G group that they, they've used a lot for their companies. 3G group, by the way, is the group that owns Amherst-Busch, uh, uh, um, Burger King, Kraft Heinz, there's private equity, they invest in a lot of the large corporations, special consumer goods company. Uh, 3G Capital, you know, they've done a very, they've been very successful on some type of budget where you started the following year with zero in your budget. You have to justify every expenditure. So if you have you know, a marketing department and you spend a million dollars last year, your budget is zero. Convince me they need every penny and how much you need. And, you know, so you have to you have to fight for that budget. So in a startup, it's a little bit that way. Like, why do I need that subscription? Why do I need to spend money on rent? Why do I need to have... Um, why am I paying uh, a date on my phone if I have, I'm using Wi-Fi calling from home? Why do I need to pay insurance in my car uh, if my car you know, is in my garage? I have to pay as much insurance, right? So anyway, so there's different ways you can do on a personal side and a professional side to extend the runway. That's the first thing you need to do. Burn less cash. Uh, just like our personal lives, if I'm making less money, if I lose my job, I'm going to adjust my, my spam. I'm not going to go out as much. I'm not going to take vacation, whatever it is, right? I'm not going to buy an asset. So number two is focus, 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 work harder. Um, you just have to put more hours into the business. You have to be more, you know, grinding. You have to go after your clients a little bit more, be more flexible with pricing, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, don't lose any deal. Don't, don't let any opportunity pass by without grabbing it. Uh, while your price is a thousand, somebody's offering 700, maybe it's worth taking it. Whatever it is the product that you're selling, or if it's SaaS, it could be less, but um, because there are more um, competition for that same client because model clients are not consuming, uh, not buying the products. So um, number three is once you have, um, you build a, a sustainable business or a, uh, a, um, a business that has less cost or that's more runaway uh, and you have better clients or you have more, more revenue or you, at least you lose less, go to investor and showing that you have resilience, that you can actually perform well even when the market is tough. And knowing that a lot of your competitors will disappear. You know, there are numbers saying that half of the startups will disappear by the end of the year. I don't know if it's true or not. 
uh, and nobody knows, by the way. Um, so <laughs> the reality is if you survive the storm, when you come out of the ocean, um, you know, don't try to swim too hard when there's a storm, just save energy. When you come out of that storm, a lot of your competitors will be dead. Uh, so you are going to be hopefully in a better situation than before. Um, and, and as an investor, I, I've, you know, I, I noticed that a lot of the good deals that investors got were during crisis, just because some companies that would not raise money otherwise, because they had a lot of revenue, then all they need to raise capital. So they're open to have outside investors or because you, you're just able to negotiate better terms for the investors. Um, uh, so, and you buy, you might end up buying like, like buying a house, you know, sometimes when there's foreclosure, that's when you buy a cheapest house, you know, and then when the market comes back, the price goes up again. You just have to shop for the right house because some houses are going to appreciate in value uh, when the economy goes back faster than others, uh, if the demand is there, right? So same thing with startups. Some startups will not recover, even when you invest after mm -hmm. when the economy recovers. Some, some startups will take longer and some startups will, again, grow very fast once the market goes back to normal. So, um, and always take into consideration the fact that um, if I raise money, a little bit of money, and that's not enough to go very far, I might actually harm that investor. Um, so also, also plan well your cash flow, how much you need, and um, finding the right people. And, and if you realize that your startup won't survive the crisis, uh, you might as well look for a job, create another startup, uh, put in a hold and find a job, part-time job or full-time until market comes back and then you uh, you start again or you re reactivate your startup. So everybody knows what's best for them, uh, how much is their monthly cost. You have sometimes a family to feed. So, and you can't fight the market 100% by yourself, right? You're not going to change. Absolutely, absolutely. So there's right. no clients now, there's no investors now, there won't be any investor in two weeks. Like, how can you survive, right? So be right. smart, plan, work hard, cut your costs, and if you think that you can s survive the storm, fantastic. You're probably going to be better off. Or you're going to you know, have a thicker skin and, and show resilience to your future investors. If it's just too hard for you, don't go broke. Don't use your personal finance and in a situation mm -hmm. like this and, and break the bank and sell your house to, to make your startup survive. And you're going to be in a deeper problem later on, right? So that's perfect advice i'm actually considering naming this episode a lot of your competitors will be dead <laughs> because it's true and that that's going to be a fun time for for all founders who survive this crisis mm -hmm. so um we're moving on here to the last question of today's episode it's a call to action what's that one specific thing that you would like the listeners to do as soon as the episode is over uh, it's hard to have one recommendation for everybody because some people are they have an early stage startup, some people have a later stage startup, some people work in a corporation, they want to launch their startup. So there's not one advice for everyone. Uh, but you know, I'm going back to what I said before. Uh, if you don't know when you're going to get cash, either from investors, borrowing, or from clients, cut as much as you can, survive, save energy. Uh, so when the storm passes, you're alive. This is my one recommendation if you have your startup. Stay lean. Again, unless you are in a business that's booming right now, let's say you are in the e-commerce or you are in online education, I don't know, some type of business that actually benefit, like you know, like Zoom, for example, benefit from this crisis. 
um, and you just have to feed the beast, raise money, accelerator growth, <laughs> benefit from the moment. But if you're not, if you're on the other 95%, 97% of the business that got affected by the crisis, what I don't know the number, I'm just guessing here. Uh, my suggestion is, again, look into your, 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 your QuickBooks, or your, your finances, your costs. That's one element that you control uh, and where you can uh, cut costs to survive a bit longer. Uh, and plan not only your business cash flow, but your personal cash flow. How much time can I stay on this without taking any money out of my business? If I have a family, have fixed costs and so on, don't break the bank. Don't go into bankruptcy yourself to save a business without knowing how long this situation mm -hmm. will last. If you knew it was just a month, okay, I can take, I can lend some money, I can borrow some money here, I can sell, you know, give my car back, whatever it is, sell my car. Because I know in one or two months, things will go back to normal. In a situation like this, we don't know. So um, stay as mean as you can and wait for the storm to pass. This is my one recommendation. And if your business is booming, even the small percentage of companies that are doing extremely well with coronavirus, enjoy the show. Uh, <laughs> feed, as I say, feed the beast. The animal is growing fast. Keep on feeding it with your own funding, with the company funding, with investors funding, uh, and just keep on growing and dominate your market. Um, before the other players come back. So. That's great advice and that's pretty inspiring ending. So thanks a lot, Roberto, for coming up and for sharing your knowledge in that. I think that was a pretty good episode, pretty inspiring ending. I love those, to be honest. Those. So thanks a lot for that and have a great day. Thank you. If anybody wants to follow me uh, or to contact with me, I'm on LinkedIn, Roberto Machado in Miami, so very easy to find. Thank you, Constantine, for the opportunity. Good luck to everybody. Absolutely. I'll leave a link to your LinkedIn in the description of this episode. So anyone check it out. It's there.